1: It is the Chris and Amy show on a Tuesday. Tuesday, And guess what, Ranj?
2: I'm paying too much in taxes.
1: That's exactly right. A new poll shows that most Americans think they're just paying too much in taxes. And so joining us now is personal finance and economic reporter for the Associated Press, Cora Lewis. Cora, thanks so much for your time this morning. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So I guess it's not a huge surprise that most people aren't super excited to pay taxes. But <laughs> what, what did we learn from this poll with most Americans, I imagine, also feel like maybe the government, cities, state, federal should be doing more for them as well?
3: Yeah, there's a little bit of a sky's blue quality to the headline. But I do think that there is uh, some interesting information in the poll Um People tend to trust local government more than they trust the federal government with their tax dollars. Sixteen uh, percent are extremely or very confident in their local school district, compared to six percent for the federal government, for example. Um, but yeah, about two thirds of of taxpayers say they think they spend too much on uh, on federal income taxes. is is a top line number there.
2: It does seem like, though, Cora, that people historically have always felt that way, at least in my lifetime. I, I don't think that I can recall a time where there wasn't somebody who compl- or I heard or overheard somebody complaining about taxes and how they have to pay them and it's too much.
3: Yeah, I think there's there's definitely something to that. Uh, I did speak with one of the people who put together the poll who said that this poll's results did show maybe some increased um, Political polarization and um, increase, or sorry, a decline in trust in government over time. Um, but it's true that historically the public uh, has long trusted local government a little more than the federal government and has felt that they've been paying too much in
4: taxes generally.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting too because they trust the local government more than the federal government, although it seems that. Uh, U.S. adults understand a bit more how the federal government collects taxes and less how local property tax is collected.
3: That's right. Yeah, just um, about 2 in 10 adults said they understood uh, pretty well how the property taxes are calculated. About a quarter, say, they understand federal income tax, 3 in 10 state sales tax. So there's a fair amount of just opacity to the the entire tax collection process.
2: I I guess... um... It it is understandable that people would trust the local government more because they would think, hey, we all have the same uh, issues and we all face the same thing. So that clearly the people who are that I'm a constituent of, they they know what I want and they know what I need. Is there anything beyond that, you believe, that leads to that feeling? Is it is it just that or is there just this perception that all federal government um, are crooked because I, I get the sense that's how people look at them.
0: Yeah,
3: I think, I think there is something to that. Uh, the quote in the piece that I liked was that there's no, um, from again, Chris Berry, a professor at the university of Chicago who put together the poll said, there's no democratic or Republican way to collect the trash or pave the streets. Um, you know, in your local, in your local city, um, maybe there's less, sort of partisan politics at the local level. But again, it's only 16 percent who feel confident in, you know, local government compared to 6 percent. So those numbers are still pretty low in terms of trust for how tax dollars are spent.
1: What does this poll tell us about the American public, potential policy making, maybe strategy for politicians? Does it tell us something important or is it more of like, yeah, you would expect people to complain about taxes. Let's carry on.
3: I think it's a little of both. I think, uh, you know, as a reporter, I always think it's valuable to check in, and take the pulse, and ask people uh, how they're feeling about taxes and the political process. In case there have been big changes and suddenly people are trusting government more or think their tax dollars are being spent well, um, and in this case, you know, it seems it seems that's not really true at the moment. Um, which which seems significant, you know, people want more transparency about how their taxes are calculated and how they're spent. And they want to feel they're going towards education and uh, health care were some of the answers I got, as opposed to military spending, for example. Um, and then, uh, you know, some groups do perceive taxes as more fair than others. People who are 60 and older are much more likely than younger adults, for instance, to, to perceive taxes as fair, according to the polls.
1: Mm. Interesting. I, I I thought you were going to say the, the opposite. Around, yeah. I know, because <laughs> um, I remember my grandpa like income tax was lower back in the day, and and so I remember him saying that. Um, this was a political, uh, I think, scientist political joke. Maybe a commentator who made this joke, but um, so bear with me here because I think Obama was president at the time. But I think it, I think it maybe strikes a chord with people. It said. According to the, the good news is, according to the Obama administration, the rich will pay for everything. The bad news is, according to the Obama administration, you're rich. And I think he was just picking the government or the administration at the time so you could fill in the blank with whatever president or government. Do you think that people do feel that, like they want the wealthier to pay for things, but their idea of wealthy and maybe the way taxes work and the government's idea of wealthy are vastly different?
3: Yeah, I think there there could be something to that. Um, the idea that people should be paying their fair share and um, that taxes should be proportional. Um, but then there's that, uh, again, lack of transparency or understanding about, you know, what those percentages are. Or there's a, a seems to be a strong perception, too, about tax loopholes and the ability of, you know, the very wealthy to kind of work the tax system. Um, I did talk to one couple who you know, had received the expanded child tax credit during the pandemic, which um, they appreciated, uh, which is a policy that's expired. So that was kind of a moment of of seeing the tax system maybe work in a way that felt fair or valuable to them, um, and then having that kind of rolled back once some of those pandemic credits um, expired.
2: Cora Lewis is a personal finance and economic reporter for the AP with us on KMOX. Um, lately, what we have been reading is that uh, Americans, the economy has been moving. People are spending. Part of that spending appears to be credit card debt, that people are racking up quite a bit of that over the last several months. How bad is that right now?
3: Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, record record highs. Um, it's it's, uh, it's very significant. Um, my colleagues who cover um, the credit card industry are talking about increased write-offs and, and people just having um, much more difficulty paying off the amount of credit card debt that they have, um, interest rates being high, uh, APRs for credit cards being high. Uh, so I would say that that's a, a very significant trend at the moment in terms of how the average consumer is doing um, when, you're, when you're looking at
1: credit, for sure. And I imagine does that play into, and maybe we don't have the data for it, but does that play into how people perceive taxes as with their own personal spending, how much debt is out there, someone who's more in debt, less in debt, um, and how they perceive the fairness of the tax level?
3: I think that's got to be a factor for sure Um, as tax season starts and people are assessing their personal finances and their budgets and what their savings are and what their debt burden looks like. um, I think that that's certainly top of mind. Um, One other thing about the, the poll was that it found... Um, you know, if you're sort of closer to receiving Social Security, you might find paying into Social Security to be more fair. Uh, so I think there is, you know, there is that kind of dimension to it as well. Kind of seeing what these tax dollars are going towards and, and um, you know, whether you're going to see a benefit from them in kind of a material way for your own, for your own finances.
2: Cora Lewis, personal finance and economic reporter for the Associated Press. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, Amy, what?
1: Yeah, I don't want to put words in John Hancock's mouth because I can't oh, no. remember. But we were basically saying, you know how with a lot of people, the paycheck, your taxes are already taken out, right? <laughs> if you had, if you got your full paycheck and then had to write a physical check every time for your income tax, I think people would be a lot unhappier and I think even more people would feel like they're paying too much. It, it's just more painful that way. If you never see it, you don't feel like you've lost it as much as when you, if you actually have it in your bank account and you have to write a physical check every two weeks or even every month. I feel like that would hurt so much more.
2: Well, I think it's already painful when you've paid taxes all year Yeah, and the end of the year comes, you do your taxes and they say, yeah, you owe us more. Well, it's like the old Chris rock bit why, why don't you just take it all when you needed it at the time instead of coming back to me like a crackhead and need a little bit more money <laughs> what what are you doing just yeah. t- it's that part is diff for the average person mm-hmm. which is all of us mm-hmm. right it's difficult to swallow to and and I taxes are, are essential we live in a society mm-hmm. we can't not have taxes So you can do that libertarian thing where you're like, taxes, theft. Well, okay, you live in a society, so calm down, bub. Um, We kind of have to have them. But it is difficult when you've paid it all year. It's come out of your paycheck all year. And then at the end of the year, they're like, yeah, you're not quite done yet. That that one's difficult.
1: Yeah, I just think I'm glad they take it out. I'm glad I never see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want it in my bank account and then have to write that check. Because like you said, at the end of the year, doing that extra hurts that much. Um, it was interesting. This is top of mind right now because I f- had to go to Deerberg's and Whole Foods yesterday. I swung by both grocery stores. And I only say that because while I was there in the aisles, I at each store, I heard people talking about taxes. Mm-hmm. Like they're on their phone. And then one guy's like, I just... I just don't understand. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then another guy had his poor girlfriend or sister, whoever on the phone, but it was on speakerphone. And she's like, I don't even know what a W-9 is. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I'm supposed to fill it out. I don't even know what a W-9 is. And it was funny because I thought, oh my gosh, Today, yesterday was the day that everyone was on their phone grocery shopping and talking about taxes. Woof.
2: You know what? I'm just not going to do it. See what happens.
1: I've got um something. Did
2: you ever? Did you ever get yours done from last year?
1: Well, let's discuss this later. Go,
2: uh, Amy, what the hell?
1: Just you can't ask that. There's a HIPAA violation in there. <laughs> don't, don't you know anything about HIPAA violations? Yeah, do you? Yeah, and you just did it.
2: I didn't ask you about your medical history.
1: Well, I'm gonna <laughs> have one after this year's taxes.
2: <laughs> That's Amy Marks' course.
0: Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.
2: Jamie Mark, Kors, and Chris Ronge. Hey, Plunt.
1: did we let people know they need to keep listening? Because. Oh,
2: no, I didn't tell them. You want to go ahead and tell them? I'm going
1: to tell them. Listen, guys, you don't want to turn off the station. You don't want to get out of your car or stop playing the Odyssey app on your phone because we are going to be giving away train and REO speed wagon tickets. Wait,
2: hold on a second. The band train and oh. the band REO Speedwagon? Sorry,
1: yes, not train tickets. No. And... It's
2: not Amtrak tickets to go see REO Speedwagon.
1: That's a great <laughs> it idea. It is. It's,
2: <laughs> hey, tickets for train and REO Speedwagon, and then you show up. Why Why is the show at Gateway Station? Well, well the gateway you're going sta- to see REO Speedwagon. You
1: take, you take the train to the Gateway Station and walk to Enterprise. That's right. I don't know where right. Arios Speedwagon's not there. They're at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater.
2: That's right. July 16th.
1: Yep, and it's the band Train, you know, Drops of Jupiter.
2: Uh-huh. I love Drops of Jupiter.
1: You and I love I absolutely do. Absolutely do not. I
2: love Drops of Jupiter and uh uh oh gosh, what's the song? Oh, is it Calling all, all Angels or something like that? I like that oh, song yeah. too. yeah,
1: I forgot about that song. That's a
2: that's a nice song. Yeah. Very
1: very good. Hey, you know how I went skiing a couple of weeks ago? Mm-hmm. I was going to tell you. Did you hear about the girl, the woman that got stuck in a gondola for 15 hours?
4: <laughs>
1: no. So, the, the Is she okay? Sp- <laughs> Is she all right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but great great classic SNL sketch yes, Bill with Hader. Bill Hader.
1: Uh Um, as the... Keith Morrison. Keith Morrison, that's right.
2: Found my boyfriend's body in the trunk of the car. Oh, was he he all right? (laughs) (laughs) No, he wasn't.
1: (laughs) That's right. Uh, Excuse me. So, the way ski lifts work, uh, a lot of times the main lifts will say close at four and they close at 4 sharp, if you're in the back bowls and there's a back lift where you have to ski several runs to get back down, they might close at 3.30. They want to make sure everyone's off the lift. Well, we got on a lift actually at 3.59, then it closed at 4, and they said last, you know, last one, one minute to go. So we get on the lift, you get to the top, and you ski down. Technically, you're supposed to make sure everybody's off the lift. Well, in this in Lake Tahoe, this gondola, this girl got on to go back down the mountain. Generally, you ski or snowboard down the mountain. But for whatever reason, she needed to take the gondola back down the mountain. So she gets on the gondola with two minutes before the lift close, closes. She gets on. The gondola is going down. The gondola stops. Somehow, there was a lack of communication saying, hey, I know there's no one else going up the gondola, But there is someone coming down the gondola. So they stopped the gondola. And because it was a gondola and not a lift, she tried yelling when she saw the workers going down, skiing down. No one could hear her. She was stuck in a gondola without lights, without her phone, without anything to keep her warm for 15 hours. Oh, no. Until the gondola just started back up again the next day.
2: So then did somebody get in trouble? Did Did she sue them?
1: I don't know that she has sued them yet, but no, I don't know if anyone got in trouble. You would think, I, I mean, I would hope because that's that's classic communication is you make sure, hey, do we know who got on on the way down, on the way up? And you let them know, make sure that's the last person. I can't imagine. She said she had to rub her hands and like feet together to stay warm for 15 hours. But imagine that. It's four o'clock. It closes no one can hear you yelling well, probably and then it doesn't open again until 8:30, 8 the next morning
2: i I can't imagine that happening just nuts don't you think that you if you're at an amusement park or if you're at a store like a big Walmart mm-hmm. or something don't you don't you do some sweeps and make sure that right. nobody's in the store before you close up
1: and um, they said and and there are points where the gondola is pretty darn high above the mountain same with the with the chairs if you're in a chair, it could be i don't know fifty feet high you're, you're pretty high so if she's up that high maybe it's windy at all the gondolas are completely closed in they couldn't hear her so she just had to wait there she said it was unpleasant but she survived
2: text messages 314-436-7900 this one says amy hmm. get your own show chris is a dork with no filter wow that's not true
1: I you might know be what's a, funny
2: might be a nerd And you can go straight to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what they mean by no filter? No
1: one's ever called you a dork.
2: That's really odd. We've called you
1: a lot of names. Yeah. A lot of names. But you don't strike me as that. Were you a dork when you were younger?
2: No, I was always pretty cool. Uh,
1: Be honest. You dressed as a Christmas tree for Halloween.
2: That was awesome. And I won the contest. Did you? I did.
1: Um, I also want to point this out because we have talked about climate activists Someone needs to help climate activists with their marketing and their messaging. Yeah, they're
2: really bad at messaging.
1: Really bad. Whether it's serious people saying the world's going to end in twelve years, or unserious people throwing you soup... you really
2: fixate on that twelve years yeah. thing.
1: Throwing soup on the Mona Lisa again at the Louvre.
2: Well, it is covered, right? You I can't I would actually. Hope so yeah, it's covered. They climbed covered over the little
1: wooden fence and then threw soup. Those are
2: of, now. That's those are door. They're right. But they're dorks.
1: Eh, I don't know that they're right. They but are. But they're definitely Planet's
2: dorks. dying because it's 140 degrees in the summer all year now.
1: Well, Mona Amy- Lisa didn't do it.
2: Amy marks Kors and Chris Ranji on KMOX. It's Chris and Amy on KMOX. Amy marks Kors and Chris Ranji. And it is good that you are with us on this Wednesday morning. Um, yesterday, we found out about the passing of... Gene Carnahan, who was uh, very well known and liked here in the state of Missouri as a politician. It seems like we don't have a whole lot of uh, popular politicians Mm -hmm. in the state of Missouri any longer. Uh, To join us to talk about the passing of Gene Carnahan is Amy Jordan Wooden, who worked for both Gene and for her late husband Mel Carnahan. Uh, going back to 1992, and Amy Jordan Wooden joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line this morning. Amy, we appreciate your time today. Thank you for being with us.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: And uh, we are we are sorry for your loss. We know that um, you were close with both Gene and with Mel. Um, I, I guess the first thing to ask you. Is what was your experience like working with Gene and, and working for that family for so long?
4: Oh yeah, uh, working uh, for the Carnahan family um, has had such an incredible impact uh, on my life. Um, and working for Gene, particularly uh, in the Senate, I was I was so honored to be a part of that team to be. One of you know many quote unquote sort of family members and and you know that's really how we we, we felt is to be a part of the family but um, so honored to work for her just an overwhelming sense of pride that I was one small part of this operation uh, to support her um, in the US Senate for those two years
1: and a unique two years uh, because after her appointment, Mrs. Carnahan gave a speech in the Senate, and of course she was the first woman to represent Missouri in the U.S. Senate. She gave a speech and she said, on election night, there was no victory celebration. You are here because of your win. I am here because of my loss, but we are all here to do the work of this great nation. And so while she was in that position to represent the state of Missouri, uh, there was also a lot of gravity to that situation because she has to move forward, having just lost her husband.
4: Yes, yes, and you know uh, the the schedule of a U.S. senator is grueling. I mean, the senator, you know, the the schedule of any elected official. Is, is very, very tough. And I always equated it to, you know, Mel was a marathon runner. He trains, you know, for marathons. This is metaphorically speaking, of mm-hmm. course, and and ran marathons. And and Jean was a casual runner. And yet she got thrust in at, you know, mile five mm-hmm. and had to run this marathon. Um, and traveling back to the state every week. I worked for her in, in the state, not in Washington, D.C. And, and that schedule is grueling while she's grieving the loss of her husband, her son, and our dear friend, Chris Sippard. And, you know, uh, during that time, of course, we had the attack on, on our, our nation, 9-11. And then just uh, days earlier, you know, she had this you know, house fire. So she handled all that with incredible poise and grace which again, you know, that overwhelming sense of it was just such an honor to, to be a part of her team.
2: Yeah, she gets sworn in just a little over nine months before 9-11 happens. And for somebody who gets thrust into such an important role and then to have uh, one of the most monumental events in our country's history happen mm. while she's there, that must have been just overwhelming in a lot of respects.
4: It was. And, of course, she was back in Rolla because the house had just burnt, you know, two, three days, I think, prior. And myself, along with about four state staffers, were in Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Capitol when 9-11 occurred. And, um, of course, you know, then it was kind of scrambling for those of us who lived back in the state of Missouri to get home. But I stayed for that entire week with the staff. And, um, she was an incredibly calming presence for all of us during an unprecedented time.
2: And, and really what was unprecedented was, you know, her taking office before that even happened. And, and like you mentioned, you know, she's sort of thrust into this, this situation. How much reluctance was there on her part to do all of that like you said, grieving, and then, oh, by the way, you're a senator now. I mean, there must have been at least a little bit of that.
4: I I don't think that there was. I think that, like Mel, she absolutely believed that public service was a righteous and important calling. And in her speech, we are all here to do the work for our country. She absolutely believed that. So uh, there was not reluctance. But I, I, there was a, there was exhaustion certainly, um, um, but her commitment uh, was as strong as Mel's. Hmm.
1: What do you remember of her presence and her demeanor? Having uh, she was born in Washington D.C., met Mel Carnahan at a yeah. church event. They lived in, as you mentioned, in yeah. Rolla, Missouri, raised their family on a farm there, and then now you know then becomes a U.S. senator quite the the circle the evolution what do you remember of who she was and her personality
4: oh you know when when she was a u.s senator I, I obviously all these memories are you know flooding back and i remember in particular um i headed up our kansas city office and um we were able to secure a little bit of federal funding Uh, for Operation Breakthrough, which is uh, one of the state's largest uh, child care centers for the working poor. And we were able to get some money um, from HHS to start up their health clinic, their very first health clinic. And uh, for years, I had a picture on my desk when we went to Operation Breakthrough to announce the, the grant from the federal government. And there's this little guy, and he's about three or four years old, and he's got a stethoscope on. He's got a doctor's coat on and she's leaning down and he's holding the stethoscope up near her heart. And her face is just lit up with sheer joy. (laughs) And I think while the work was very, very hard and um, during her tenure, again, those unprecedented times, it always came back to making the world in Missouri a better place uh, for for those who came behind her, and so that that picture is um is a very poignant moment and a memorable one for me during her time in the Senate.
2: Amy Jordan Wooden worked for both Mel carnahan and Jean carnahan joins us here on k m o x what is what is something about Jean Carnahan that people may not know that you think they should
4: um you know, she was funny. She had a great sense of humor. I think a lot of people know that she was a beautiful orator and a, a magnificent speech writer. And I, and I will tell you, it was so hard to write remarks for her because she was so darn good at it. Uh, Tony Weich on our team probably had to bear that burden the most. But she was funny, too. And there would be these um, moments uh, in the car where this dry with this sense of humor would come out. And I don't know that that came out in her public speeches necessarily. Um, but I remember, you know, many a times um, you know, getting into a debate in the in the Dairy Queen drive through line, getting an ice cream cone about what, you know, really meant what Blizzard was versus a Sunday and or um, a, a time um, <laughs> where she was, uh, you know, uh, she would get her hair done, right? You know, uh, um, she was of that generation where you had your hair done and set. And one time we had to do it in Kansas City and, and the woman was using a straightener, not a hair, hair you know, um, a curling iron. And she would just gave me this look like, Amy, this is never going to hold up, you know, and I could <laughs> just hear her, her saying. But she had a great sense of humor, too.
2: Well, Amy Jordan Wooden, we really do appreciate your time and, and again we're sorry for your loss and we thank you for for giving us a few moments here on on the show.
4: Absolutely. Thank you.
2: Amy Jordan Wooden again started going to work for, for Mel Carnahan back in the early nineties, nineteen ninety two, ultimately for Senator Gene Carnahan. Um, and we lost Gene yesterday at the age of ninety. That's Amy Marks-Cors. I'm Chris Ranji. You've got KMOX.
1: You oh, Ranj, look what made they
2: made me do. Me do. Uh, you? They? Who's they?
1: Well, unfortunately, I think it's those, a lot of people on the right, the more the far right on the GOP. They're going after Taylor Swift.
2: Oh, no. Still? And
1: still. And it's actually getting worse. Remember when Vivek Ramaswamy suggested that she was part of the deep state? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so so are you going to describe what he th- what they think is happening here with Taylor?
1: Yes, and I'm actually going to use uh, the Babylon Bee, which is a funny, conservative-based satirical site like the Onion. Uh, when the Babylon Bee is going after you, I mean, come on, people. Here's and he, let me just say this: I said this yesterday. I poo pooed Taylor Swift before it was cool to poo poo Taylor Swift, but now, now. I, don't think I have I have to defend her. You have to because the right side of the GOP, the GOP right, maybe all of the GOP, maybe all of the right, they have lost their minds. So here's what the Babylon Bee here's how they describe it, and again, they're doing it as a joke because this is quite literally what. Some Republicans believe happened. Conservatives uncover Democrat plot to turn Taylor Swift into an international pop star and the Kansas City Chiefs into a dynasty, so Swift could date a Chiefs player and leverage the collective media coverage to get Joe Biden reelected.
2: Okay, so that's that's, a, that's, that's the a Babylon huge B
1: plan, yeah, because they're making fun of what is they're, actually being proposed. Yes,
2: so it by is the, bab- the right. What they are doing is saying it in a ridiculous way. Yeah. While reminding you that this is actually what a lot of people believe. Mm-hmm. They believe that all of this is a plot by her and the NFL and Travis Kelsey to raise the profile for her to get more attention so that then at the Super Bowl or after or before she can endorse Joe Biden. If you have watched Fox News over the last like 24, 48 hours, it's a, it it's. It's constant. Jesse Waters, that guy, had it on his show. They've been talking about it all day, and they've been going after her for, I don't know what's been happening today because we're doing the show, but yesterday they were going after her. The day before they were going after her. It seems way over the top. If you want to argue that, okay, the Taylor Swift thing, enough's enough, don't really care about her, this is all about, Football, I'd rather just pay attention. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will listen to that argument. But this is, it is complete nonsense. It's crazy. To think that Taylor Swift uh, needed the NFL to raise her profile. She's the most popular and has been before this football season started. Yeah. The most popular pop star on the planet, and it isn't close. Listen, It's not even close.
1: The NFL has nothing to lose. I know there are football football fans who have complained about what you could call overexposure, right? You know, all the cutaways to Taylor Swift. Okay, they're still watching. They're still going to cheer on their teams, and they're still going to buy jerseys. And what Taylor Swift has done has brought a ton of eyeballs that otherwise wouldn't have been focused on the NFL and focused them on the NFL. Everything she touches really does turn to gold. And the NFL would be crazy not to leverage the power of Swifties to make a ton of money. The NFL and the, Kansas City Chiefs, their brand value has increased $331 million just because of Taylor Swift. Jerseys yep. sell out. The Chiefs radio broadcast that we have here on KMOX, their radio broadcast is the number one NFL radio broadcast since Taylor Swift started dating Travis Kelsey. The game Kelsey.
2: against the Ravens was the most watched yep. AFC championship in history. Listen, 55 if, million people plus.
1: If I wrote a book and Taylor Swift read it or promoted it, do you know what I'm doing? I'm leveraging that yes. for everything. So, Everybody complaining about Taylor Swift would do the exact same thing if they bought something that she, that you wrote or that you made or that you created or used your business or went to your, you know, Jiffy Lube. Whatever. You would leverage that.
2: I know people love conspiracies because they can't just believe things just happen. All of this with her and Travis Kelsey just happened. He took a shot. She was uh, receptive to it they started seeing each other that's the end of the story the nfl saw an opportunity again the nfl is being opportunistic they didn't set the whole thing up and it's stupid to suggest that otherwise that's what's going on and by the way yeah if you are one of these people who has been complaining about it that she's on your tv too much i don't want to look at her this is stupid Colin Cowherd, who is, by the way, not one of my favorite people uh, in sports talk radio, sports talk television, too. He doesn't really do it for me, but he was right on this. Do you know how much TV time on average she's been getting during this uh, during all of these broadcasts on average? yep. how much? Twenty five seconds a game. Not a lot. She's on TV 25 seconds per game on average. There have been times where it's higher. There was one time where she was closer to a minute. I believe that was the Dolphins mm-hmm. game. But it's never been more than like a minute of total TV time <laughs> yep. over the course of three and a half hours. That's nothing. So,
1: And here's another thing, too, because it's Fox News and it's the MAGA crowd really going after him, after her, I should say, Um I don't know who Justin Hart is. He could be a terrible person, but it sounds like he's a conservative. This is, he made this point on Twitter, which I thought was pretty good. And again, I don't know who he is. He might be a terrible person. He said, I have nine kids. I've had a teenager under my roof every day since 2007, almost all girls. I've gone to Hannah Montana and Demi Lovato concerts. I've cringed if my kids hummed a Lady Gaga song, and I've talked to my girls to help them minimize their Katy Perry fandom. I've turned off Ariana Grande, and nobody is going to a Billie Eilish concert while they live here. Twi- Taylor Swift, <coughs> on the other Charlie hand... Billy Eilish. <laughs> Taylor Swift, on the other hand, is the least objectionable, least sexualized, uh Least... Well, this is the this is the LGBT side least rainbow pushing that's what he said oh, female pop star of my parental life she has a steady masculine boyfriend who courted her she rearranged her schedule to be there for him an engagement is likely in the card and hopefully marriage and kids after that and frankly our abysmal u.s birth rate could use a good role model like t-s and t-k Therefore, it is unbelievably stupid for MAGA and Trump to pick a fight with her. This sounds like a pretty MAGA conservative guy. I mean, he called it rainbow pushing, which sounds um, offensive. But also, she's but,
2: she's also very outspoken about the whatever. Forget this guy, the, LGBT, the LGBTQ yeah. community, and very supportive of them.
1: But do you see how like this is a MAGA guy going? But I, I get what you're saying. Even, yeah. even like, what what do they want? It, they're just I, they're I weirdly picking on her. It's he's so saying you can look at this from a conservative point which again I'm not I think this guy no. sounds kind of like a horrible person he's a person. doofus
2: but but he at least has a good point about her one good point partially hmm. uh anyway it's all crazy 3144367900 show recap coming up